Uh, Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, for your grace. Thank you that you are a God who doesn't let idiots like Jonah, like us, run away from your love and your grace. Father, you grab hold of us, turn us upside down and bring us back to yourself. Now as we look and see Jonah in the darkness, recognising the light of life, might we too see uh, the light of Jesus by your Spirit's power. Might we uh, give our hearts to him and might we trust him with all we have. Father, give us hearts to learn. Give us hearts which seek your face and glory in our Redeemer, we pray. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Right, folks, back on, uh, was it, 862? Is that right? Page 862, Jonah 2. Jonah's uh, run away. He's got chucked overboard. He's got very wet and he's uh, going down and down and down. And then verse 17, remember it, don't we, of chapter 1, the Lord appointed a great fish uh, to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. We're going to think a bit more about the practicalities, well, not the practicalities of that, the effects of that. We've all heard sermons about how there's this fish and they've said, not interested. Uh, It's interesting, it doesn't help us get to the main meaning of this passage. What we want to do here is see again that this is a book less about Jonah and even less about a fish and more about the God who created and holds them both in different ways. Because here we see that that theme, that theme of this big, sovereign, loving, good God is transforming Jonah. We literally see, you know like uh, he's in the stomach of a fish, isn't he, perhaps? You know, whatever that, the biology works out of that. But that, that stomach that, that is used to kind of um, taking the nutrients out of things and, and using them for good. That's what God's doing to Jonah. He, he's squeezing him so that the good stuff comes to the top. So that he gets those nutrients of life dig deep into Jonah. And Jonah starts to get it. So, the question we want to ask this afternoon. What if we were the same? What if God squeezes us, whether by circumstances like Jonah, whether by his word here, so that we're transformed by this theme, this theme of a God of... uh, Three persons in one God of overflowing uh, love and grace to undeserving sinners. If we really grasp that, if that really captures our hearts and our lives like it ought to, if the Spirit really works in us, what's that going to look like in us? How are we going to change and grow and live so that like Jonah in chapter 3, we can get out there and serve to the glory of God? How can we think through and shape our entire life around this theme of God's outrageous, gracious love for sinners just like us. Just uh, four ways this afternoon. They're there on your sheet. Uh, I'll stick them on the screen as well as we go through. But let's dive straight in. Let's think firstly, uh, this passage, chapter 2, calls us to learn. It calls us to learn because... Just do, let's do a bit of work. Have your Bible open, please, and there'll be a bit flicking, because I know it's, uh, in your Bibles it's, it's over the page, but 
uh, we're just going to have a little, a little contrast here between Jonah as we see him in chapter 1 and Jonah as we see him in chapter 2. Because they're two, in a sense, very different people. We're all like that in life, how we experience lives change. As I was reading a book about marriage uh, a while ago, and uh, they were interviewing this guy, and he says, my wife has been married to seven different blokes, and they're all me. And if we're married, we know that truth, don't we? That uh, uh, through married life, we change, uh, and we get shaped by experiences, and it's the same with any experience in life. And here's Jonah, almost two different people. Look there, uh, firstly, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. There, that message of God had come to Jonah, and Jonah says, uh, Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went, and he was going anywhere, do you remember? In the complete direction of away from God. If here was God, Jonah was going that way. And yet, just look, as Jonah uh, prays, Maybe even sings. Chapter 2, verse 6. I went down to the land whose bars closed me up forever. You, yet you brought me up out. Oh, oh, sorry, not. No, that's why it didn't make sense. Verse 4. Jonah there in chapter 1, verse 3 was running away from God. Chapter 2, verse 4. Then I said, I am driven. Away from your sight, yet I shall look again upon your holy temple. So here's Jonah chapter 1, doing anything to get away from God. Chapter 2, he sees that nightmare of what banishment away from God, separation from God might look like. He's turned at 180 degrees, hasn't he? Look at him in chapter 1 and verses 5 to 6. The the sailors there, they were all afraid, each cried out to his own God. Where's Jonah? Jonah. He's having a kip. It's a storm. He's not interested in crying out to God. They have to tell him, pray to God that he might save us. He's got a reluctance to call out to God. Look at him in chapter 2 and verse 2. What does he do? I called out to the Lord out of my distress and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. I cried and you heard my voice. There he was asleep thinking he'd got it all sorted. He got away from God. He could have a cape on a nice pillow in the bottom of the ship. There he is overboard realising he's got no chance. He is in desperate need. He has only one hope and it's to cry out to the Lord. And in God's grace he answers him. Chapter 1 uh, verse 12. Jonah says, pick me up, hold me into the sea, then the sea will climb down, for you know, for I know this because of me that the great tempest has come upon you. Jonah knows he deserves judgment. As he looks at the Lord in that situation, God is his judge. He realises he's a sinner under the condemnation of God. But now, in chapter 2, as Jonah sits there in the fish, having been rescued, how does he look at God? Chapter 2. Verse 6, I went down to the land where bars closed me in forever, yet you brought my life up from the pit. Oh Lord, my God. In chapter 1, God was judge. In chapter 2, God is saviour. We could go on and on and on. We could see Jonah's hatred of God's love for the world. Do you remember that? How he didn't want the Assyrians to be saved? Uh, we could look at verses uh, 8 and 9 of chapter 2 and see that, that Jonah rejoices 
that God uh, saves people. Salvation uh, belongs to the Lord. We see the difference between these two journeys, don't we? But what was it that caused that difference? Well, ultimately, as we thought this morning, he's seen that revelation of who God is. He's seen afresh God's power. He's seen physically in that fish God's salvation. And he's seen the enormity of his own smallness, his own sinfulness, his own dependence on God. You see, what's the most important lesson for us to learn in this story of Jonah? Jonah here begins to see himself as he really is, as he sees himself truly in the light of who God is. Jonah repents of his arrogance and his selfishness and he believes the gospel. Because as we look at this passage, we're meant to see our own inability. We're meant to see our desperate need. We're meant to see that we weren't created to be independent. We were created to be dependent on God. It was meant to show us afresh that we cannot save ourselves. This whole experience was meant to point us past this three days to another three days, wasn't it? The one uh, who could say, look, all your waves and your billows passed over me. I am driven away from your sight. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The one who really did, verse 6, go down into the land where the bars at the door of the tomb closed upon him, yet God uh, brought him out of the pit because Jesus went to the cross to bring salvation to his people. You see, what we see working out here is God at work in the life of Jonah. God working out his plan of salvation. And Jonah's very clear, look, that these events didn't just happen to him. It wasn't kind of an accident or fate or anything. Look there, verse 3. It wasn't, well, it was the sailors who chucked him into the sea. But Jonah's very clear that it's not that God's got nothing to do with this. Look at verse 3. You cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah's really clear that God is at work here in his life. He's rescuing him from his self-obsession and arrogance. He's preparing him for the call to ministry that he will give again in chapter 3. Jonah has here, at least in some way, we can see from his prayer, learned his lesson. His desire has changed. Instead of running away, look at what he says. I, with the voice of thanksgiving, this is verse 9, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah said, Lord, you've got it wrong. You can't save those Assyrians. They're bad ones. They're evil. 
Now what does he say? He holds his hands up, if he can get him up in the fish, and he says, God, you're sovereign. You're king. He's got what God said to Moses. He, got what, he has got what God said to Moses, hasn't he? I'll have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. Jonah, it's not about you. You know, and we need to be the same as Jonah. We, we thought this morning we don't want to be like Jonah. In this case, we do. We need to grasp the reality afresh. I said it this morning, you can't give away what you don't have. And therefore, we need to learn. We need to ask God for grace to grasp afresh the reality of who we are, who he is, and uh, his saving plans in our life. Jonah's life here, all that happened in chapter 1, was a learning opportunity for this uh, epiphany, for want of a better word, there in chapter 2. And do you know what? There's this thing about God. The Bible says it. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't really change the way he does stuff. It wasn't that he worked in Jonah's life, and as we're going to think, spoke to him through his word, to change Jonah, and then now, you have to have an app on your iPhone to, to understand it. I mean, it's a Bible app, that's great. But it's not that God's changed the way he works. He is at work in your life through the circumstances, through the people, and particularly through his word to transform uh, you. And we've got to get that life is for learning. We've got to get our brains so that we're learning more about uh, who God is and how to serve him. Look out for the lessons around you. Look out for the lessons about who you are, about who God is, about his love for us in Jesus. When life's hard, when life's difficult, refuse to mourn. Look to the God who is sovereign and good. We need to learn. And because we need to learn, we need secondly to pray. Because Jonah's got this big change in his direction of travel, hasn't he? Instead of away from God, he wants to come back to him. We saw that uh, there in uh, verse 9 particularly. He wants uh, to come uh, back to God. He wants to give uh, thanks for God. He wants, verse 4... To come back to God's holy temple, to the centre of where God dwells with his people. It's a reflection, a reflection of that lesson uh, that he learned. You know, verse one, uh, verse two, sorry, he called uh, for help, and verse four, he recognises the depth of his spiritual situation. And that attitude of uh, prayer, and dependence that Jonah has now changes everything. Look at him. No longer is he reliant on his own wisdom or strength. Look at the promises of the Lord he, he brings out 
here. God answered him at verse 2. God is present. He's referencing with his people, verse 4, in his holy temple. He says, I look again on your holy temple. He knows God has promised to be with his people at his temple. He knows God brings people out from the pit. He knows at verse 9 that salvation belongs to those who come to the Lord. And as Jonah prays through those promises of God, he recounts God's goodness to him. He reminds the Lord and he reminds himself, even as he prays, of God's goodness to him, of God's saving work in his life. Of God at work that he might be glorified. He brings out his thankfulness. Now, often when we tell our things, we, if we tell ourselves something enough, we believe it, don't we? You know? I still believe in reality one day that I will score the winning goal in the World Cup final. It's not going to happen. But I told myself so much as a, a child and even as an adult uh, that that was going to happen. You know, one day in my head, John Motson was going to say, Graham Thompson of Huddersfield Town, what a goal, England are the world champions. <coughs> but how much more when we do that with truth? How much more as we recount the truth of God, of his love and his goodness to us, does it start to change as we start to remember and believe that truth? Jonah recounts this truth. His heart is warmed. He turns his face from away to God, back to the Lord. And he gets again who's in control. Salvation belongs to the Lord, not Jonah. And it was this situation, wasn't it, that chose, uh, that drove Jonah to this change of heart. So often, uh, that's what it takes, isn't it? When life's good, we think everything's great. And so often, God has to bring us to uh, the depths. To take our eyes away from ourselves and put them back on him. I have a friend, one of the guys I met in the pub... Not a Christian. He says, I'm an atheist. I told him there's no such thing. He didn't believe me. Um, but I said, you know, what about... His little boy's got um, disabilities. I said, what about when Harley's really struggling? What about when you were in the hospital? Oh, pray then. Pray then. How much more... Is that true of us? When we see the reality of who we are, that in every situation, our very next breath is dependent on the Lord's grace. We don't want to have to go through these situations for the Lord to teach us we need Him. And so we need to be asking God to change us and shape us, to develop that habit of prayer. 
You see, Jonah pours out his heart to the Lord here, and the Lord is at work to answer that prayer and to change him. And so often we get so het up about prayer, don't we? I've um, got a friend, a pastor, who uh, says, if you want Christians to feel guilty, he says there are only two words you need, or two questions. How's evangelism going? How's your prayer life? It's true, isn't it? Do you know what? Here's kind of part of the answer. Get what Jonah got here. Chill out a bit about prayer. Charles Wesley or John Wesley, whichever one it was, John Wesley, got up at four o'clock in the morning and prayed for five hours. Let me tell you a true fact. As a historian, John Wesley didn't have many friends. And didn't talk to his wife right often either. And went to bed at nine o'clock every night to save his candles. So he could get up at four o'clock in the morning. And he, he was a bit of a geek as well. He could concentrate for four hours. I can't. I can't concentrate for four minutes. I used to think I had to pray. Like Jonah, I had to write this brilliant prayer out. I had to be so eloquent. And I've since realised that when I talk to my dad, I don't write him an essay. I just go and talk to him. And I pour out my heart. And I thank him for the nice things he does to me. To, for me. That's what Jonah does here, isn't it? He sees uh, the beauty of the Lord's grace and kindness and he just pours out his heart. The call for us is to bring our thankfulness to God. Give thanks like Jonah does. Pray about the uh, the situation. Talk uh, to God about who we are, who he is. Jonah just generally chats to God about the situation he's in and praises him. It's not uh, a shopping list. It's a relationship. Imagine those of you who are married. Imagine if your spouse only talked to you when they wanted something. It's not a recipe for a great marriage, is it? The call of us is to come to a father who longs to listen. To spend that time in relationship with him. And uh, as we're doing that, to seek him. While we're on spouses, uh, I'm sure my wife would say about this about me sometimes. But what about a, a spouse who only listened to you once a day? Or once a week. You know, they sat down, they said, right, you've got half an hour here. Talk to me. Tell me all your heart. You know, half an hour later, right, you've had your time now. You can talk again tomorrow. I'm not interested. So often that's our relationship with the Lord, isn't it? You've got half an hour on a Sunday, maybe an hour, because we sing and stuff and we read the Bible. On a morning, 10 minutes, half an hour, after a busy weekend like this, Monday morning, that's five minutes, thank you God. I'm going to struggle to get up and get to work. That might not be your heart, you might be incredibly uh, diligent and disciplined. Monday morning, I'm going to struggle. But journey here shows us why getting into God's word Hearing him speak to us is so vital. 
Because why was Jonah able to respond with this? You know, it is, it's a poem. He's in a fish. He's not got a book of poetry with him in there, is it? Here's what a, a friend of mine said in answer to that question. Before Jonah was ever in the fish, God's word was in him. You get that? Before Jonah was ever in the fish, Jonah, uh, God's word was in him. Because just look at verses 2 to 9. What we got there. If I just took that out of context, put it on the screen or print it on a paper, what is it? What? It's a psalm, isn't it? And do you know what? It is. Hey, see if you recognise any of this. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sank in deep mire where there was no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I'm weary with crying out. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. It's not word for word, is it? Near enough. That's Psalm 69. You see the similarities, don't you? With Jonah 2. Do you know what? There are bits of, in this psalm, this psalm, this prayer, this song, whatever it is, there are bits of Psalm 3, Psalm 5, Psalm 16, Psalm 18, Psalm 31, Psalm 42, Psalm 50, Psalm 66, Psalm 88, Psalm 120. If you want, go and check them out. Come and ask me afterwards and I'll tell you again. How is that even possible? It's dark. It stinks. You know, fish stinks, doesn't it? And if you get it on your clothes, so being inside one, John is probably close to vomiting. It's it's that bad. He's terrified. And yet God's word, literally God's word, comes out of him. Why? Because he was saturated in it. It was part of him. Every week at synagogue, Jonah went and he sang those truths with God's people. Every day, Jonah studied that word and it got deep down into his soul. And therefore, what naturally came out was God's word. It's a really simple equation, isn't it? You You put in God's word, what comes out? Is God's word. When he prays, he's praying God's promises back to him. When he thinks truth is naturally welling up rather than the lies that his heart might tell him otherwise. And he's got a lesson for us, hasn't it? If we want this changed direction, if we want... This direction of life towards the Lord where we're fixing our eyes on Jesus, where we're seeing the reality of the gospel when life's difficult, we've got to saturate ourselves in these promises of God. We've got to be filled with truth rather than lies and the only place we find truth is here in the word of God. And you know what? I don't know. I know very few of you. I certainly don't know what your life is like. I certainly don't know what your Bible reading is like. I'll just speak generally about my experience of evangelicalism around here. We listen to a sermon on Sunday, maybe even two. We come to life group or Bible study or whatever on Wednesday. We might even do half an hour. That's it. Half an hour each day even and, and that's it. 
That's great. Sunday is good. Sunday is very good. Bible reading every day is excellent. Meeting to read, up to read the Bible or book or a Christian book with another Christian is great. The 2 Timothy 2 group and things like it, they're brilliant. But if that was food, or that was all we drank each week, we'd be hungry and thirsty and going backwards. How do we get that saturation? Now there are loads of ways. But just here's four ways I've got. You see, why could Jonah do it when he didn't have his Bible in front of him? Think about Jonah. First one, learn some of the Bible. Learn some memory verses. Because what did people like Jonah in that culture do? They learned, essentially, the whole of the Old Testament off by heart. Or at least a book. By the time you were 13 when you did your bar mitzvah, you were supposed to learn it. Uh, learn a whole book of the Old Testament. It's in there then. It's hard. Find ways of doing it. It's worth it. Maybe listen. Some of you maybe uh, commute. Drive around. Some of you have an MP3. Or, well, we don't have them anymore, do we? We have phones these days. Who knew 20 years ago that we'd carry a sat-nav, uh, a phone, a clock, a, a watch, a camera and everything around in our pocket. Maybe you go to the gym. Stick on an audio Bible. Stick on a sermon. Listen to Chris again. Let me recommend to you listening to sermons more than once. Stick that word into your heart. When you're washing up or chilling out, stick an audio Bible on. Listen again to online sermons. Here's something I challenged our church through with. How about giving up one TV program a week so you could sit and listen to a sermon with your spouse or somebody else in the church to saturate yourself in the word and then talk it through? Fourth one, sing. Some of us don't like that, do we? But when you sing God's word, when you put that into your heart, that's what Jonah did. Why do we sing in worship? Why has God commanded us to sing to one another? Yes, it's to give glory to God, but uh, Colossians 3, uh, Ephesians 5, give us different reasons, don't they? Sing, hats. psalms, hymns and spiritual songs as you teach and admonish and encourage one another. Singing does something to our hearts, doesn't it? It lifts our hearts, connects it to the truths of uh, the, the glory of God. And it also helps us to remember it. You know, um, you know the earworms? When that song gets stuck in your head? Uh, over the last uh, year or so, Two different people in our house have discovered two different things. My wife discovered Mumford and Sons. She's a bit late, but I, re- I resisted it. But it was in the car. And I hate folk. It's awful. It's a banjo for. 
But I walked around for the rest of that week. I will live. I will live for you. It's been annoying. I'm going to be doing that the rest of the night. And even more horrifically, this is, I mean, it is shocking. My son discovered high school musical. And I walked around for a week. I was caught by people singing. We're all in this together. That's what music does to us. For bad or for good. Wouldn't it be great? You caught yourself walking down the stairs, feeling a bit miserable, and you just caught yourself. Maybe, maybe you're feeling convicted by sin, you caught yourself walking down the stairs. You just find yourself halfway through when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Upward I look and see him there and made an end of all my sin. Wouldn't it be great when we're tempted to sin and find our life and our joy in other things and we're walking along singing, Hallelujah, all I have is Christ. Jesus is my life. Wouldn't it be great in the storms of life to sing my sin or the bliss of this glorious thought? Wouldn't it be great if God's word saturated us? If we seek his like Jonah did and pray his promises back and when we learn we pray we seek finally we rest because uh, Jonah's deliverance was unbelievable uh, unexpected and total wasn't it he thought we thought about this uh, this morning he thought verse 12 he was going to die and be under the judgment of God. And yet this man who spat in God's face, as it were, verse 17, God rescues him. He sank uh, down, didn't he? God let him feel that grave, didn't he? The seaweed wrapped around his head. Was he in a kelp forest? I have no idea. But if you've ever got trapped by anything underwater, you know the terror of it. And that experience completely changed him. It brought him up short. It didn't mean there, were difficulty, there weren't difficulties or slip-ups ahead. Chapter 4, Jonah's an idiot. Like us. But God here rescued him from his own idiocy and the danger he was in. But here's the thing about being in this fish. We're not given a time scale, are we? We know he's in there for three days. We don't know if Jonah prayed this at the beginning or at the end or whatever. But here's the thing about Jonah here. For three days, Jonah had nothing to do. But rest in, meditate, and think on the rescue of God. And do you know what that did him good? He had no MP3 or phone playing in his ears. He simply had that earworm, maybe of Psalm 69, maybe of Psalm 18, maybe Psalm 3, whatever it was. And maybe just to hear some sound in the darkness, maybe because it was so horrific, he just started singing it out loud. It warmed his heart. It, It made him think. Perhaps he started riffing on it. Expanding it, adding in his own situation and out comes this glorious prayer of praise and confession of sin and trust in God. 
Maybe in the darkness, Jonah had that 1am feeling. You know when you wake up at 1am and you think of something you've done stupidly recent? In the dark year, Jonah had plenty of opportunity to look at his own sin. To confess that sin before God and to repent and believe the gospel and it changed him. We're going to see this tomorrow morning, but just look at the difference between chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, and chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. We're going to see tomorrow morning, Jonah didn't get a new job, he got exactly the same job. In chapter 1, he went, see you God, no chance. In chapter 3, he went and did it. Jonah had those three days of darkness, of thinking, of singing. We live busy, hectic lives. We have hectic minds. There's always something grabbing our attention. And the call of this passage, in many ways, is to take time to rest in God. To dwell in his saving grace. We need to make time, or it will never happen. Take an hour, an evening, a Saturday morning, whatever... To think through who you are. To think through who God is. To confess sin. To repent of that sin. To uh, reaffirm uh, our belief in and our amazement of the gospel. To thank God. To luxuriate in his goodness to you. Here's something I sometimes do. I need to do it again uh, in the next few weeks really. And I think it's a very similar thing to what Jonah did. Every so often I sit down with a blank piece of paper... And the Ten Commandments. And I write down just for each commandment one way I've broken that commandment recently. That's scary. Just finding one is the hard thing. And I confess that sin to God. I seek to begin repenting of it. And then I go and I read Romans 8, 1 to 4. Especially verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And then because I'm a shadow, and I like to see things written down, next to every one of those sins, I put a line through it, and I write, it is finished. And then I sing. Now, for many of you, that might not be a great thing. For me, it it warms my heart, it changes me. I'm not saying you have to do that, but if you want this change that's here in Jonah, you need to find some way of warming your heart by the glory of the gospel. Ultimately, do something that you might learn and pray and seek and rest in God's grace and God's love and ask God to change your heart. That you might be made more like Jesus. For his glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. Thank you that it is far more amazing than we can ever imagine. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes and our hearts more to the reality of our own sin we might see the wonder of the gospel more and more clearly. That we might walk with Jesus, fixing our eyes on him, throwing off the sin that so easily 
entangles. That we might see him, the author and finisher of our faith. And rest and rejoice in him we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.